Jeopardy's being black driving a scooter in Santa Monica, I guess. All the, everything I've ever learned in life has geared me or prepared me to help other people. But I don't help everybody because you can't help everybody. Welcome to Under the Skin. Uh, today we're going to mix it up a little bit. I'm going to do a little bit of an intro to our guest, a gentleman by the name of Speaks. I uh, wanted to give you a little bit of background ahead of time and, and give you some information on where you can find him. As well, wanted to give you a disclaimer that this episode does have uh, some explicit language in it, depending on whom you're listening with. And But certainly don't let that preclude you from listening as it's an, it's an awesome conversation. We go wide, uh, we go deep, and we talk about a lot of different things from um, speaks his, his background his philosophy his experience in high school uh, where he went to Nashua High School in New Hampshire uh, so we get a little bit of a parallel experience from mine in episode one and you know he's a parent of four kids of you know uh, mixed race so he you know has an interesting perspective on parenting uh, uh, racial awareness in parallel to you know our conversation with Josh in episode episode two. So we wanted to bring him on as he was introduced to us to, by a friend. And in Speak's background, he actually grew up as a military kid. Um, he's now today lives in LA. He's one of the owners of Hyperion Public, which has two locations in Los Angeles, and it has two great restaurants and two really great bars. Um, he also is an owner of a branding and marketing company called Villains and Rogues. Uh, the, their slogan is, without villains and rogues, there are no heroes. He also is part owner of Longdo Pretzels, and he's currently working with a company called uh, Global Stem Care Laboratories. They put out a series of uh, facial and body creams for for men and women. Um, it was actually one of his buddies that that started uh, the 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 creams. Uh, he's a neuroscientist named Dr. Dwayne Morris Irvin, um, who stumbled upon it while doing research for brain tumors. So um, he's, he's got a really successful uh, the professional life as he also, you know, fun fact, was a producer of some very popular 90s hip hop uh, music videos. So um, we really appreciate, as always, you listening in. This is a really, like I said, good conversation that gives us an opportunity not only to explore someone's experience and get their perspective on the things that we've talked about, but also represent how we listen, even if there's disagreement. So uh, listen and enjoy. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. Hey, Rod, what's going on? What's up, man? How you doing today? I'm doing really well. I got a good night of sleep last night. How are you? It was always a positive. Always. I, I did as well. Yeah. So what's going on with you today? I'm going to I'm gonna say part of that good night was because of uh, magnesium oil. Okay. Magnesium oil. Oil. Tell people about it. Lotion works too, but I like the oil. Why? Spray it on, spritz. You not... spritz magnesium oil. I don't know if I spritz it as much as I spray it, but I like to say <laughs> spritz. <laughs> But 
so magnesium is you know it's a fairly abundant thing element in this world and it's something that we humans use in over 300 biomechanical processes Hmm. but most of us are deficient in it Hmm. so and it's not highly absorbable through the gut so like you could eat something like spinach that has it but you're not going to get as much as if you go dermal as you spritz it well, maybe I'll try it. Another one of those ones I might want to try. I'm just it helps me get a good night's sleep. All right, let's let's give it a shot. And we'll let people know. Let's do it. All right. Spritz, spritz, spritz. We're on location in Los Feliz, Los Angeles adjacent, with Speaks. <laughs> Are you doing? Actually, you're in a place called the Oaks. It's a part of town that no one even knows exists. I didn't know. There's only two ways in and out of this place. So that way. If you're coming and you do something wrong, you ain't getting out. You're not getting out. So that lets us know how this could go. No, you'll be fine. Okay. (laughs) So in case you're unaware, Under the Skin is a podcast where we evaluate all the things that we're told not to talk about. And we're trying to build a framework for how to go about doing that. Uh, And we do it by exposing, uh, exposing perspective, evaluating, and then coming back to hopefully evolve our own mindsets and hopefully you you too will um, find some reason to evolve what you think and and today we have a, a, a really a really fun conversation planned for you um, Keith I, I know you have some thoughts for questions to kick off what I wanted to start with today speaks was really just given our, our first episode and the fact that you were class president in Nashua, New Hampshire. I wasn't specific in the first episode. I grew up in Hudson, which was the town over. I think you were more rivals to us than we were to you. Um, but when I was growing up in the 90s there, you know, Nashua and Hudson, I have a ton of family in Nashua. And I'd like to I know you had a chance to listen. I'd like to hear how your experience growing up in a very white state where Nashua probably is one of the more, that has a heavier black population, but I'm curious to get your perspective on, on, on what, uh, contrasting to the rest of the state, what your experience was growing up there and, uh, in the eighties. Uh, well, when I lived in Nashua, New Hampshire, there wasn't a lot of black people around at all. Matter of fact, there was, uh, in my graduating class of uh, 1985, there was 810 people in the class. Uh, the 10 were black uh, or other races like Filipino or Asian. And uh, I was just... Just lump it all in? Yeah, into that 10. Yeah. 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 And uh, I was fortunate enough to be elected the year before class president because, uh, well, I'm an army brat. So we moved around the world a lot. So I, I'm just used to dealing with people I don't really judge people by the color to me everybody was green because that you know army uniform um but in the national new hampshire when i got there i was very just local talked to everybody didn't really care who i was meeting talked to everybody and they were very cool with me and uh it was uh it was kind of different because i didn't see a whole lot of racism there until the day i became senior class president (laughs) oh wow yeah so you know the first day when i was giving that that uh, state of the class speech and, you know, the first day of back to school, that type of thing in the auditorium with like, you know, everybody's in there and the principal walks me out and introduces me as a class president and somebody yells, nigger. And I was like, I got a microphone. Uh, that's not what your mother called me last night. And next thing you know, <laughs> I'm being dragged out the gymnasium by the principal and, uh, you know, just didn't 
get to talk very much to anyone after that. Did year. that kid get dragged out? Uh, no one knows who that kid was. There's eight hundred of them in the stands. Who the fuck is right? You kid? can yell out. I'm the I'm the black kid in front of everybody with a microphone. Did you have any like so? You didn't notice. You didn't even notice racism until that moment in New Hampshire. No. In New Hampshire, yes, but I, I'm I'm like, do you have any idea of the margin of victory for your? Oh, it, it was a uh, it was pretty big because the year before I had a I, I I ran on a dare actually, but don't tell that people that in New Hampshire. Um, okay. There was a there was a lot of people who were pulling for me to win because I just didn't like the other people who were running. And because I was new and because I happened to know the fine uh, qualities of throwing a good party versus saying you're going to throw a nice prom. I'm throwing a party every fucking weekend. Holla at your boy. (laughs) (laughs) So you were were a known quantity. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. No one knew how to party in New Hampshire until I got there. (laughs) A keg in the the fucking woods. What are you thinking about? (laughs) Yeah, boy. So, so I had made a comment, and I'm curious, because I had made a comment in the first episode how I always felt, and this is from my perspective, that, you know, it's live free or die. Just, you want to be here, be here, just leave me alone kind of mentality. Um, it just happened to be a very white state from a population perspective. Uh, you grew up a decade before I did, um, you know, right, you know, heavily documented, especially 40 minutes north of Boston. Boston was very considered, you know, going through race turmoil at the time. Absolutely. This is in the heart of Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson. And Most that, beautiful that days. Thing. Do you, would you, would you, so up to that point, what about after that point? Do you think that holds true? Is, is my perspective just different because I'm white? Like, did you see more racism after that? Was it isolated incident? Like how, how, how different was it for you versus, you know, kind of what I experienced? Well, so the fact of the matter is people, people get what they're looking for. If you're searching for something, you're going to find it. If you're looking for racism, you're going to find racism. I wasn't looking for racism. I was looking for, uh, A, to be the best person I could be, B, to throw the best party I could throw. No, no, in in high school, I mean, I graduated National High School with a 1.7 GPA. Wow. And uh, and I went to Harvard, and and then uh, I walked out of Harvard and went to Emerson College the very same day. Okay, hold on. Hold on. There's a lot. There's a lot right there. That's why my thing says Harvard, but it doesn't say anything else. Yeah, I went. Harvard, right there. One, so I, I, real quick, you said you're army brat, grew yes. up all over. Yes. Oh, so I want to touch up on where you went, uh, where all over, what that means, and then you you said you were just trying to be the best person you could be. You want people get what they look for. Absolutely. Is that is some of that military um, because of the military upbringing? Like it was everybody's green, and we're just trying to be the best we can be. Sounds like a bunch of military slogans, right? Yeah. Because that's what it was. It's be all you can be. The military, the army, especially. That's all I really know. Is like once you're in it at a certain level. I'm not talking like, like a officer. I'm not. I'm talking about enlisted personnel, fucking grunts, ground up. If you're in it that level, is this your mom or dad? My mother. Okay. She was a sergeant. Hmm. See, I had to ask because I think I was assuming. I was assuming dad. I totally was too. My dad was in the navy. My stepfather was in the air force. So. Oh, good God! You were like a. I'm a military brat. (laughs) Yes. I can fix anything. I can do anything. I'll never starve. I'll never fucking be homeless. I'm going to survive no matter what. 
so so to that train of thought, you say people get what they're looking for. Yes. You weren't looking for it. You were trying to be the best person you could be. Would you say then that just allowed you to just not notice things? Because this goes to kind of Rodney's experience growing up. Like, just kind of experienced... I've, I've always noticed racism. I've always known prejudice. I've You know, the first time I heard the word nigga, I was... 11 years old in Louisiana getting chased by some white boys. That was the first time I ever heard the word. They were like, beat the nigga, get the nigga. I was like, who? Oh, me. Oh, so you, so that happened way before. Way before any of this. Way before any did you, of this. Did you just. I had no idea what the fuck they were saying. Oh, okay. I had no idea. So what I. Did they, did they catch you? Hell no. <laughs> Nashville High School track team. Wait, I got a undefeated. question. I was going to ask, were, are, were you the running back? No, I was, uh, I was, <laughs> I was, I was four by four relay. I ran the last leg. They blow everybody away, and I was just coast in. And then you just had to finish it up, just close it out. Absolutely. But it, but it, you know, it, but it sewed up the the stereotype nicely. Like, uh, you you want the black guy? Oh my finishing. god, the black guy's running. We're dead. Oh, <laughs> uh, he's last. They gave you up. You guys got to get here fast. As soon as I got the baton, people, they just gave up. I'm like, I'm just going to jog. And that, yeah, that's what it was. I was. The stereotypes actually helped me a lot. You know, because, like, when people go looking for racism, like, if a white boy comes looking to, at me for racism, and I see him coming looking at me for racism, I'll look at him like, are you sure you want this? And he's not going to come to me any further for racism, so I'm not going to deal with it the same way as, say, another black man might deal with it. Like, oh, my God, you, what, the, what? I don't, I'm not going to do that shit. I'm going to say, if you want it, you can have it. Come back to the army brat thing. You grew up all over. Mm-hmm. What's, yeah. like, all over? What's all over? Uh, well, let's see. I've... I've See, it's different because, like, when we were stationed in Germany, we were stationed in Germany for three years, but we never, we lived on the base for one year, and then we lived outside of the base. And I always went to these military schools, blah, blah, blah. But when we lived off, off base in Germany, I'd live 15 miles away. And in order for me to speak to someone in English, I'd have to ride my bicycle basically 15 miles one way to go play ball. Sprechen Deutsch? My wife speaks fluent German. And, uh, Is she German? She's German and English and Canadian. If you can, that's the you know, that's the white mix. Yeah. Oh, he's part Canadian. Aren't you all? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. No, I mean it's it's, it's funny. Though. You really do get what you're looking for in life. If you're looking for trouble, you'll find trouble. If you're looking for drugs, you'll find drugs. If you're looking for money, you'll find money. <clears throat> if you're looking for God, you'll find God. We only got we only got Germany. I'm sure we'll t- okay. We'll touch on more. You should hear we'll Germans say "nigga." It's fucking hilarious. Nigga, nigga. It's like you laugh so hard you can't get mad. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's like, come on, dude. You're like, all right, well. You so, think, do you want to have a drink now, or no, no? Then you wait yeah. for you to get out of school the next day, and like all your friends pile up snowballs and just bomb them. You know, because like, if you call one army brat nigga, you call every army brat nigga. It doesn't matter. Oh, what it's because it, like. it's green. It's a green We're crew. Green. We're all, we're all brothers, we're all cousins, we're all, you know, nephews, nieces, we're all family at that point. You know, it's like they taught us how to shoot M16s in the seventh grade in Germany because our parents were out playing military games in the field so that the base would be just a few adults and a shitload of kids for like a week. So what happens in that week if, they, if we get invaded? The kids got a protective place. Mm-hmm. So they gave us fucking M16s, gave us target practice, you know, they taught us all this shit which they do not do anymore because apparently, you know, you need child seats and their child abuse and, you know, fucking time out, whatever the fuck that is. 
Complete. <laughs> so, you were in Germany for three years. <laughs> yeah. Where next? Um, while I was there, I did a lot. Well, you know how I just said, like, you know, the parents would go away for like a week at a time and stuff like that. Yeah. So and it, you learned to to defend yourself and. Oh yeah. well, I learned to defend the base. I'm always cool with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I would do is like, you know, back then it was like four marks to a dollar. So I would like, you know, take 20 bucks, be a rich man all of a sudden, and get on a train and go to London or, or Paris or wherever, you know, and just ride around by myself and just see. And how old were you at that point? That was between 11 and 13. So this was after Louisiana. Yes, it's after Louisiana. Louisiana is like, all right, if I don't hear that word, then I know I'm cool. You know, so when I heard the word, then I knew I wasn't in a cool circumstance. But, you know, it doesn't matter where you go in the world. People are going to not like you because you look different at, at first. And mm. it takes a second for them to get to know you. It's like it's what it's human nature. If you don't know what it is, you kill it, dissect it, figure it out. And then you're cool with it. Like survival. It's not survival. It's, it's I think it's, survival it's instinct fear, is, yeah, you know, no. you walk around me, I walk around you. You're good. I'm cool. You know, like the other thing is like it's just basic human fear. Uh. Fear of the unknown. And, you know, that's the, that's the thing that's going to kill humanity, period. If we don't spend some time getting to know each other a little bit, right? Absolutely. So you have zero to fear from me, and I have zero to fear from you. We already know this about each other. So for, for, those, for those listening in, currently we're having a Skype call with Keith, who's in Cleveland, wearing a Patriots Super Bowl champions hat. And I'm sitting next to Speaks, who's wearing a Boston Red Sox cap. We're bonding over our New Hampshire roots. New Hampshire, real quick. Okay, back Like you said, if you're looking for racism, you see racism. Up to that point, you were there to party, have fun, and, and meet girls. Um, um, and after that, you're in the auditorium. Dude calls it out. You respond. And then you get kicked out of the gym. Were you looking for it after that, or what happened after? Oh, not at all. I could care less about it after that. After that, I was... Uh pretty much put into uh, detention for the first two periods of the day for the first, uh, what, semester of the year. So I was stuck in a room with a bunch of fucking ninth graders as a senior, and they're expecting things not to go wrong. So let's dissect that, though. <laughs> there was no respect paid to the comment made? No. No, because I didn't care. Because No, not by you, but by the administrators. Uh, what are they going to do? Like, search 100... Fucking no, nice but I mean, I, okay, it's kind of. I guess it's kind of like the NBA, like the or or uh, any sport really. The, the 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 second person to commit the foul, or the person who reacts okay. to the to the the principal at the time. He's uh, from Lithuania. He was older. I think he was a uh, mid seventies, low seventies to mid seventies at the time, and he was from Lithuania, which means his family and maybe even himself had just finished dealing with the whole fucking Holocaust shit. So, right. he's after himself going through that, his family going through that, he doesn't want to take his school through that now, right? So, he's, he's not going to, like, bring up any racist thing or any non-tolerant thing. And as a matter of fact, I don't even think people knew, knew how to deal with it. So, you're saying yeah. instead of Especially going through an ethnic cleansing and saying, I'm not going to allow that to happen again, he's like, I'm going to avoid it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So like, so you're like, but he called me. How'd that make you feel? You just didn't care. I, I could care less because the thing about it is, if someone is at that level and they're trying to get your your attention to bring you to their level, 
then, you know, whether you go there or not is up to you. I mean, but by me saying that's what, not what your mother called me last night, I kind of went to... Which is hilarious. Yeah. But, but <laughs> I, I kind of I went to his level, and by going to his level, all I did was... You opened up. Yeah. All I, no, I didn't open up anything. All I did was get myself taken out of the scene for a while. It didn't change anything about my social life. I didn't go to class anyway, so it didn't really fucking matter. Uh, were you still class president? Absolutely. So after that, though, did you have anything else? Any other experiences in New Hampshire? I had plenty of in New Hampshire. Well, I mean, like, like say some of these girls I would meet along the way, say their parents weren't exactly cool with them hanging out uh-huh. with a black kid, you know. And other people would let these things get to them and call it racism, call it whatever else. I just call it being a kid growing up, you know. It's like we do stupid shit. It would have happened to any kid. I just happened to be the popular black kid doing it. Do you think it was because of the color of your skin, or do you think it was because of other things or the whole recipe i think i got i got away with a lot of things because of the color of my skin and because of the sound of my voice you know i mean i if you know a lot if you're if you're smart enough if you if you take things in instead of you know closing things out then you'd be surprised how much you're going to obtain in in this lifetime i mean it's it's amazing what the power of your words can do if you enunciate if you if you uh get your point across clearly to anyone it's really, it's it's fascinating because in the setup for this, I was like, man, I would really like to understand Speak's philosophy. And I was going to ask you if you just have like a philosophy. Rule number one, you do your dirt while you're lonely. Rule number two, keep your mouth shut. Rule number three, you look good leaving and you're cool. Rule number two, military, keep your mouth shut. Speak when you're spoken to. Rule number one, pimps, do your dirt while you're lonely. Rule number three, pimps and military, look good leaving. Clean up your mess. Let me just tell you one last thing about New Hampshire, okay? Yeah. Because I was black, because I was senior class president, because I was actually a good kid, a good person, because I yeah. did a lot for the community even then. You know, I, I tutored kids in school who didn't know as well. I, I tutored our, our star players in high school, you know, so that they can pass their math class, so they can get their degree and graduate from high school. You know, I, I, I did all those types of things. I, I think it's just fascinating to me how... We just came from very different places, but at the same time, our our perspective on the state, despite the instance or incident, a couple of uh, a couple of them, if not just that one, um, is still fairly fairly consistent. I opened by thinking like we grew up very different, but not that different. Something you said um, about how being black it may have hurt you here, but it helped you here, mm-hmm. and sounding how you sound helped you here, but maybe it hurt you here. Like there were, there were it's two sides of, of the same coin and you, you kind of, it sounds like you kind of figured out how to use that to your benefit, which I think is really what my mom was trying to say with use your white voice or know when to use your white what voice. What your mom really wanted to say to you, but maybe didn't have the words at the time was speak to the level of your audience. When I'm talking to a bunch of kids that I'm coaching, I take a knee, I make them take a knee so that way we're all at the same level. When I'm talking to them, they hear me clearly and they can communicate back to me clearly because I'm not trying to be above them or beneath them. I'm making them equal to where I am. And it, it's, it's a big deal for them to be spoken to like they, they're equal. It's a big deal to anybody to be spoken to like they're equals. So if you speak to the level of your audience, no matter where they're from or what they're saying or how they say it, you know, it's like somebody comes up to me like, yo, ma, what's up, dog? What do you know? And I'm going to be like, what's up, kid? How you doing? Good? You want me to All right, there. what's good? What's good? All right, give me some love. All right, deuces. I'm good with that. If somebody else comes to me, I'm like, hey, how are you doing? Are you having a good day? How's the family? 
you know? As Italian people, you always got to ask, how's the family, you know? But other people, it's just like you don't say anything, you know? With black people, a lot of times, it's just a nod. Just a nigga nod. Does that take you back to Purdue, Keith? The the campus nod. What do you think is the disconnect? Like when I go get my haircut in Inglewood and I I hear some extremely intelligent brown skinned men talk about what's wrong in their lives. And I don't understand. Like, what's the disconnect between what what your mindset is? I'll tell you straight up in your mind. Like when you're right. Like, what's your the disconnect is adjectives. If you use words to describe people, if you say this person is black, this person is white, as opposed to saying this person, this man, this woman. If you say this person is tall, this person is short, then you're giving stigmatism right there to like, oh, their height or whatever else. I mean, if you just take away all the descriptionary words and just say a person is a person, then that's what they are. Like if I'm going to describe you to my son, who my sons are, they're mixed sons. You know, they didn't hear the word nigga till I told them the word nigga like a year ago. You know, and Jay, have you heard Jay Z's song "Story of, Story of OJ"? Is this on the new album? Yes. No, I haven't. Oh, I should just play that shit. Actually. We should. We should take a pause. Yeah. Let's listen to it. All right. People speak things into existence. If you say something enough times, it becomes true. If you say "nigga" enough times, you call yourself a nigga. You call let somebody else call you a nigga, then you become a nigga. Uh, that's just what it is. If you say, you know, a cracker enough times, then, then that person's a cracker. That's what other people see. The more times you say something over and over and over again, the more real it becomes, which is why all of our knowledge is wrong. We're all taught the wrong shit because it's said over and over and over and again. We're taught these same lies over and over and over again. So we take these lies to be truth now. And none of that shit is true. So let me ask this. And I know you have a question, Keith, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, what's your take on how how to raise a child? Um, do do you tell them about racism if they have brown skin, or not, or if they have white skin? I mean, to the to the point that you just made, you you introduced your kid to the N word, and you introduced it. So it was the first time you heard. Was it through music, or how how was it introduced? Through music and through life, through. You know, through driving them through places like Compton and Watts and Inglewood, you know, and Malibu and Beverly Hills and showing them the difference between, you know, Rodeo Drive and Rodeo Drive. You know? Very big. Hey, if you're not from L.A., very different. How, how old are they? Speaks. Well, I, well, my oldest one's 22. My youngest one is about to turn 10. But I've taught them all the same lessons at about basically the same time. So about the time they turn uh, between 10 and 12, I introduce them to everything. And when they are turned 16, I teach them how to shoot. Well, my perspective is that um, no matter what happens, people need to learn how to A, defend themselves, B, speak for themselves, and C, be self-reliant. You know, because you're, 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 if you can't, if you can't uh, farm your own crops, if you can't protect your, your, your family or your little tribe, if you can't build a house over your head, then, you know, then you're a sheep. 10 to 12... You introduce them to everything. Uh, I introduce them to the world as it really is. So you're so that I interpret that to mean you're of the camp that we should tell children that racism exists. People will see them di- differently based upon however they look, talk, speak. I'm I'm of the world that you should never lie. Period. 
You know, because if you lie to your children, then you have to live that lie with your children. If you lie to your wife, if you lie to your friends, it just becomes a bigger, 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 bigger lie. I mean, tell the fucking truth. Hurt somebody with the truth or soothe them with the truth or at least let them know what the reality is so that there is no pain in the end. All there is is understanding. You know, so if I tell my kids, all right, you listen to the story of OJ. You two are considered light niggas. I'm considered a rich nigga. He's considered a poor nigga. Your Uncle Mike is a, black, is a dark nigga. You know, and your Uncle A-Love, he's a real nigga. But we still niggas. You know, we're still niggas. And that doesn't make you a bad person. That just makes you in that category of what these people see, that's what you are. But who you are really is whoever the fuck you want to be. If they want to call you something, they want to call you a light nigga, let them call you a light nigga. Fine. They have a nice day. Deuces. I'm out. I got bigger shit to do. I don't have this adjective for you. I don't have that for you. I'm going to call you a fucking person. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious to to dig in on the on the concept of sheep for a second. And the contradiction using that word versus the philosophy of not of, of the adjectives that we use having consequence. But your use of it is in a negative negative light towards people who wake up in the morning, just do their job, go to the business. How is that negative? Wanna just and I don't think it's negative. Yeah, it's not negative. It's it's kind of factual. But it's also an and adjective. Right. It's also an adjective. It's it's also an adjective which has a negative connotation, and um, and this is just being being you know in the dialogue, the way it was said was uh, you don't want to be a sheep, but if someone is someone who just wakes up every day, does their job, provides for their family, takes care of their business, and and goes home at the end of the day, falls asleep, wakes up, and repeats. That does not make that person a sheep. What would make somebody a sheep is to have one person tell you and all the other sheeps around you what to do and you blindly lead, you, I mean blindly follow that one person. That makes you a sheep. Got it. And you, do, would you argue then that sheep in the human sense, using this adjective to describe people, is dangerous to the evolution of, of progress? No. I think it's just ins- okay. I think it's just insulting enough that people would actually say I don't want to be a sheep and maybe go out and research something, maybe go and open their minds and find something you know that maybe they think is oh oh well then I'm doing this right and oh uh, maybe I'm doing this wrong maybe I should change something because I don't want to be a sheep and follow this status quo I would rather be you know a lion and and like take care of my pride. So some adjectives serve a purpose. All adjectives serve a purpose. Is how you use them, and if people—I mean, a po- positive. You're saying intent behind the use. Absolutely. Because, because there's—you mentioned earlier. There's uh, the story of OJ. He said you're a light nigga, dark nigga, you know, field nigga, house nigga, but we're still niggas. You take all the adjectives out of that, you're still niggas. Yeah. That's what that song is about. To be honest, take the adjective away from it all, and guess what? You are still this person right here. You know, you can't rob from me. You can't take anything from me. But my kids, that's all that's important to me. See you know what I mean? None of this shit's about me. All this is I'm telling you to you right now, it's hoping that maybe someone else will hear this and maybe treat their children and their lives a little differently as well. Because that's the only way shit changes. Stop calling people names. Stop looking at people like they're different. Everyone's the same. You know, what you learn in the military is I have a gun, you have a gun, the enemy's coming this way. I have to watch your back, you have to watch my back. Now, I don't give a fuck if you're white, Asian, if you're whatever the fuck you think you are. All I know is I have your back. 
and all I know is you have my back. So right now, we're brothers. You know, we're brothers. And, and how many species of, of human beings are there in the universe? I hear there's 181,000 or something like that species of human beings. But there's only one race, which is the human race. So racism is just dividing that race. It's just... It, and that's what religion does. That's what money does. That's what music does. That's what clothing does. That's what education does. That's what your geographical location does. That's what the color of your skin does. Basically, we're all the fucking same. Your blood is red. Your shit is brown. It all stinks. You're a fucking human being. What about the What about the moment when we when the enemy's not coming this way? Who's the enemy? Well, I'm speaking specifically of the military. Okay. So what about the moment when the enemy's not coming this way and y'all dark-skinned guys have to go that way, mm-hmm. Tuskegee? You have to mm-hmm. go that, like, when, when, when we're on the same team, but we don't treat you the same. Because that is when they are trying to say, all right, now let's thin the population. You know, if we, if, if we are this, these type of races and we want to have this much of the world to ourselves, we have to get rid of this much of the population. Okay, and how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to send these people into a trap so they're gone. We're going to let these people starve over here. We're going to let our cops run wild and just beat the fuck out of these guys over here. You know, and we're going to not even talk about Detroit. Let those guys just die. You know, oh, what about, tainted. The, yeah, what about the Indians? Oh, shit. You know, that pipeline just broke. Who cares? Nobody cares. Fucking whatever. It's done. Who's talking about the Indians now? Nobody. Nobody. You know, you're only told what they want you to know. You know, and then... Human beings have a very short attention span anyway because we're all so self-absorbed. We don't really give a fuck about the next man. Honestly. I think that should change, though. I mean, I want my kids to grow up in a world where they can help other people to help themselves to be better people. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Can you... Can, can, can you... Um, so, explaining to your kids how it is... Right, you you introduce them to the words that exist, that the people that the people that exist, the way they could be treated, are treated, and will be treated. How do you teach them that very principle of making that better in their lives? Start off with history, because the history that people learn is all wrong in the first place. You know, Christopher Columbus didn't come over here and say, hey, I'm your friend. Christopher Columbus came over here and said, hey, who's the chief? Extended his hand, chief extended his hand, and he'd have the fucking chief's arm cut off. And the rest of the tribe would be like, oh, shit, we're doing what he says, you know? So if you explain to them the correct history of things and how things really work, you know, and that what you see is not really what it is. It's what you're, what you're meant to know. But you can go beyond that. If I stopped at what I was meant to know... I'd be a carpenter, okay? If, if, if somebody else stops at what they're meant to know, they're not going to get very far in life. Guys like you asking questions, starting conversations, having dialogues with random people like myself, it's, it's something that could change the world. It's something that could open people's minds, you know, because you don't have to open your eyes, just open your mind. And then once your mind is open, then look around and see what the world really, really looks like. You know, when I come home to my fucking beautiful house in Hollywood Hills and someone says, hey, do you work there? You know what I say? Are you the help? Yeah, and I say yes. I work on living there. I work on being the best person I can. I work on, you know, and when you need help with your groceries, I'll come help you too. You know? But I, I don't let them think that whatever they said bothers me, and I really don't let it bother me because I'm above that. 
You speak to the level of your audience. If they're not at my level, or if I'm not at their level, then we can't communicate anyway. But when you talk to your kids about racism, let them know. You know, I had to tell them that their great-grandmother was a slave, that their, that their uh, great-grandparents came from uh, the West Indies of Africa from a Gullah tribe, and the way the Gullah tribe kept track of their history was through telling stories. And then the only way I know any of this is by talking to my relatives to see where they came from, what they were doing. Yeah. I, you have to know these things in order to, to evolve, to grow. You know, evolution is, is only gained through expression. You have to express yourself in order to evolve yourself. So you teach your children to A, express themselves, and be open to the expressions of others. And the world will change on its own. They are the future. We're just here. None of this is about us anymore. Once you have a kid, it's all about making sure your kid has the best possible world they can have. And I got four of them. That's the reason why we're here. Yeah. But the thing is, you know, people look at me and they say, oh, He's rich, he's bougie, he's this, he's that. I, I, I was homeless three times in my life. Really? I worked my ass off to gain everything I have. I worked my ass off with my wife, with my family, to make this world that we live in right now. You know, so I can't be bothered by what anybody else thinks. I got shit to do still, you know? And people who let other people's opinion of them bother them, they and themselves are away sheep. They're not following their own path. They're being distracted by someone else, you know. So now they're following that lead as opposed to just doing the thing they should be doing in the first place. So that's a bombshell because I didn't, I didn't realize. So we're sitting on the top of a hill, literally. That's Very on the much. top of a hill. There's a Hollywood sign right there. There's the observatory right there. I can show you the rest of the whole fucking city. It's 80% sky. The rest of it is from Long Beach to Malibu or whatever. The, but you just said you've been homeless three times. Yes. So you've been at the bottom of the lowest hill, dude. I've, I've or fucking, one of them. I, I've I've eaten fucking people's leftover out of fucking trash cans at McDonald's. So, can I ask why you were homeless? Like, what was the cause? Uh, lack of money. Economics. No, when I when I, when, when I got out of high school, I uh. You know, my mom didn't have any money. I was getting, like, bullshit scholarships. It wasn't enough to survive on. It was just enough to get you to the door, not through the door. So, in college, most people don't know this, and you can keep this in there. I would, uh, you know, I would, I had no place to live. So, I'd just, you know, go to the gym or whatever, go to the gym at the college or school or whatever, and take a shower, you know, leave your clothes in a little box, a little bag hidden somewhere so nobody would know. So, you were homeless in school? Yes. Yeah. Was that the first time? Yeah, the next two times we were living in California. <laughs> How did, um, and, you know, I think this goes back to your original point, if you see race, you see race. From your perspective, how did being black make that harder for you, or did it? Oh, it did. There's no history of black music videos in in the music video area of, of Hollywood. There's no, no real history of black Hollywood. You know, I was one of the first 10 black music video directors, period. But there's no history of that. There was me, there was Lionel Martin, there's a few other guys, you know, but there was no history of it. Like, to this day, because there was no extensive internet, no cloud to store memory in, it was all written on paper. So once the job was over with, once the company dissolved, those boxes of paper just got simply thrown away. And there, and there goes the history of it all, thrown away. Nobody knows. You know, the only people who know now 
is the people who are actually in it, which makes us a bunch of griots again, because hmm. all we can do is tell the stories of the history as it was, and there's no real proof of it. So you have to either believe us or not. You know, but there's a uh, oddly enough for white people, there seems to be a history. You know, they had MTV. MTV logged all their shit. You know, we had MTV too. I have my name on a MVT. MTV video. It's there, but at the same time, you know, other people like, uh, like who was it? This one, like uh, the musicians. What's his name? Moby and like uh, Michael Stipes and all these other people. You know, their their stuff kind of blew up because they had not just the history of it, but they had a catalog of all the shit that they've ever done. You know, the directors back there from Rupert Wainwright to, uh, to uh, who's the guy who does all the, all the stuff nowadays? Fucking action flick guy. Um, he worked everybody like fucking slaves too. Not Bay. Yes, Bay. Bay? Michael Bay? Michael Bay, yeah. Michael Bay, he worked, he used to work, make people work like 48 hours in a row. His whole crew hated him, you know, but at the same time, he did his shit. Who's the guy who did the original Batman movie? Little short dude, British guy. I used to bring him fucking... The uh, Keaton uh, Batman? Yeah, he did the Keaton Batman. And I used to bring him uh, vodka in a fucking 7-Up can. <laughs> <laughs> not, I shit you not, dude. It was, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy because there's a history for some and, and no history for others. And that's the, that's the thing about being black in the... Uh, in, in Hollywood, period. How have you persevered through that to be as successful as you've been? I have a white partner. No, let's, let's go into that. Seriously? I have a white partner, for sure. No, but I mean, the thing about it is so, like... So do I. Yeah, I see him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, no, but the thing is like, you know, like I would make a phone call, like, like I golf a lot. Well, I used to golf a lot more. And I'd make a phone call and, like, make a reservation to go golfing, you know. And I'd show up and they'd say, oh, deliveries are on the side. And they'd say, oh, well, oh, you need to go to the men's locker room? Well, you go out the front door and then you go around the side. And one day I was like, fuck all this shit. So I just walked straight through the hallway, right? And I walked into this room and there's all these white people dining. And then all these forks and knives and glasses clanging stopped. It was silent. And they were all looking at me like, ah. And I said, where's the first tea? And just walked away, you know. And as in walked away, I meant walked back to my truck, put my shit back in my shit, and left, you know. But it's uh, it's really funny because a lot of people don't to this day understand that we're all equal. So they try to. When was when was that story? This was about ten years ago at the uh, where was it? It's a country club next to where Sony Studios is in Culver City. Okay, down in Culver. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very, very. Old school, very fancy, uh, private, I guess, <laughs> golf club. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's, it's crazy. It's really crazy. I met there, I went there to meet a friend, and, and I guess I just went to the wrong place or had the Correct. wrong friend. I'm not really sure which. So you've all, you've, you, it sounds like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you've been acutely aware of the presence of race and how it's affected your life and you've chosen when or when not to deal with it. Oh, absolutely. Do you know how to not get killed when you get pulled over as a black man? Enlighten. All right. Here's what they teach you in the military. When you're pulled over in a foreign country by any military or whatever police fucking occupation, whatever the fuck it is, the first thing you do 
is you take the keys out of the ignition and you put the keys on the dashboard. Next thing you do is you put your hands, both hands, on the steering wheel. Well, you roll down your window all the way down. You put your hands on the steering wheel. So they cannot say your keys are in the, steer or in the ignition. They cannot say your hands are reaching for anything. And your window is down so you can talk to people. The next thing they're going to say to you is, oh, you've been pulled over before. You just say, no, I have not been pulled over before. I've been raised by the U.S. military and I know the rules. I don't want you to be offended or afraid or anything of me. But we're going to have a conversation. Why did you pull me over? This guy told me he pulled me over because I crossed two double white lines. And I looked at him and started laughing with my hands on the steering wheel. I'm like, I crossed two double white lines. Where, where was this? This was in oh, Glendale. LA. I was yeah. in Glendale. Okay. Yeah, it's a couple of years ago. Glen Glen a couple of years ago? Yeah, in Glendale. But, you know, a couple of years ago. But, you know, the guy was pulling me over because I was driving a Hummer and I'm a black man. Period. 50 cent. 50 cent. I had like 50. Never mind. Um, but the thing is... He said to me, you've been pulled over how many times before? And I said, never. You're the first person to pull me over. Now, why are you pulling me over when no one else has? You know, and he said, because I crossed two double white lines. And I looked at him, I laughed, and he laughed. And I said, you know, that's kind of, that's some, that, you know. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, wow. and gave me back my ID and my license and everything. I said, have a nice day, dude. And that was that. Do you think that's a recipe for every black man? Absolutely. Or woman? Have you yeah. so Absolutely. have you seen the Put the, your hands where my eyes can see. Have you seen the new Philando Castile video? Did you see it? Oh, yeah. This the one that was released after the um You know his his mistake was he was reaching for something. He said, my license is over here. And as soon as he reaches down, then that cop has every right to shoot him. But he, well, he said I'm he said my my he said, my um, license is in my wallet, in my pocket. Yeah, no. And I have to reach for it, and I have a weapon on me. No. See, so he's, he's all the wrong and shit. And then... All the wrong shit, dude. How do you do that differently? Well, how would you have handled that? I'd have taken the keys, put them on the ignition, take my hands... But he was the passenger. Yeah. Yeah, and take my hands and put... Oh, he's the passenger. To still put yeah. my hands on the fucking dashboard so he can see my hands. I would not tell anybody I have a weapon on me because it's none of their business why would i tell you if i have a right to carry one i'm going to carry one and do i need to make you feel like you need to be afraid of me now and say i have a weapon well that's that's kind of threatening in the first place to anybody if you tell me you have a weapon then i'm going to be slightly threatened by you you know what i mean but cops walk up and have weapons so. exactly but i'm thinking i mean so he states it yes but he did not have to state that oh you're saying don't state it fuck no you tell, people, not, you tell people what they need to know only. It's, everything's on a need-to-know basis. Pimps and military will tell you that. Hey, this is, this is a, a, a day-and-a-half-long conversation that Rodney and I have tried to record in the past. Because it's just this, this whole principle, I understand it exists. I know it's a reality. It's just uh, I've told this story to Rodney before. My dad was a cop. Um, up until the age of when I was born and you know he would tell me hey all you have to do put your hands on the wheel make sure the cop knows that you're not trying to do anything and that's it that's There's it never anything anything but I have never in my life I've been pulled over god you know two dozen times and that was between the ages of I think 16 and 20 and um, at no point in time I just got pulled over about oh god two months ago i was driving 
and I knew I was I was going nine miles an hour over the speed limit. The cop was bored, and I was pulled over for about two and a half minutes. I was driving a rental car. I told him. He went to his car. I've never seen anything so fast. Not not a second of my day was I even concerned with anything other than the fact that, well, if he gives me a ticket, I know I was going nine miles an hour over the speed limit. So, hey, I'm, he's got a right to give me a ticket. Exactly. Well, but the thing about it is what goes wrong is fear. Like all these people, black, brown, even white now, have this fear of the, of the police and rightfully so at this point. And the, and the police have this fear of these people, rightfully so at this point, because no one wants to just trust that people are going to do the right thing. Like if when you get pulled over, put your keys on the dashboard, your, your engine's off, you're not going to run away, you're not going to run over anybody, your hand on the fucking steering wheel, you're not going to take off, you're not going to reach for anything. You know, you give them the information they wanted, that, that they need to know, period. If you're in the military, they get your name, they get your rank, they get your social security number. If you're driving a car, they get your name, they get your license, they get your insurance. End of story. You don't so, need to say anything else. I'll add context. I was put over once in high school, leaving a graduation. I was a junior, it was a senior graduation. Had a lot of friends. Had a couple sophomores in the car with me, black males. And... We're headed home. Indiana had a curfew. I think it was nine o'clock, maybe mm-hmm. ten. We're we're past the curfew. We get pulled over, and so here's the thing: we're past curfew. Mm-hmm. So the cop pulls us over, within well within their rights to mm-hmm. pull us over because we're we're under eighteen, out driving. Um, you knew you were wrong. Supposedly breaking curfew, but the question question that was asked looks in the car. He says, "What are you? What are you guys up to?" That fills within the rights of. I mean, he's a cop. He's asking, "Why are you out past curfew?" He didn't say, "Why are you out past curfew?" He said, "What are you up to?" What are you guys up to? So that's insinuating that you're doing something. Now, my upbringing, and this is another story I didn't tell, but my upbringing is my dad taught me to put my hands on the steering wheel, mm-hmm. turn the lights on. Like if you're, if it's a night, turn the lights on, mm-hmm. roll the windows down, don't move. We didn't, he didn't teach me to put the keys on the dash, but it was very similar. Mm-hmm. Give no reason to give issue for the, for the officer that's walking up to the car. In fact, he said, I mean, because his family grew up in Bama, Absolutely. deep, dark south. He was like, if there are no lights and you feel uncomfortable, drive to the next gas station where there are Before lights. Stop. And then stop and mm-hmm. say, officer, you know what? I didn't feel comfortable right there. Yeah. And, but don't move. I mean, this is, this is the, the, the status of what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. And... So I just said, hey, officer, and I had the invitation to the graduation in my pocket. Mm-hmm. I said, we were at this graduation. We go to Brebuff Jesuit Preparatory, and we were there to see our friends graduate. And I'm dropping JJ and Alex off, and I'm headed home at uh, 3824 Oil Creek Drive. You can see me time. there. How did it end up? He let us go. Good. point of that story is... He didn't pull us over because we were underage. He pulled us over because there were three black guys in a car. Absolutely. That's the only reason you get pulled over, dude, as a black man. I mean, seriously, you might be speeding, but so is everybody else. But if you're speeding, there's a white guy speeding, the black guy's getting pulled over. You know, that's just what it is. I've been pulled over four times in my life. Just four. I'm fucking 50. Just four times, right? So the first time was, uh, oh, what was that? That was in college going to... Gloucester, Massachusetts. You know Gloucester? Gloucester. You know the 40 Steps area? That 40 Steps? Where people used to go like... Yeah, I've never been to Gloucester, but I know it. Yeah. 
So I'm taking, taking, it's Friday. I just got paid. I know it sounds like a song. Uh, it's just, and I'm taking these, I'm taking these three white girls to 40 steps. <laughs> it's definitely a song. Oh my God. This sounds like a recipe for. Oh, I got, I got pulled over and detained for pimping. It was Friday. I just got paid. And the mis- mistake I made was getting out of the car because I didn't want the three white girls to see what was going to happen to me. So I turned the car off, did everything else. You voluntarily got, got out of the car? Yeah, I voluntarily got out. And, you know, at that Officers point, don't like that. Oh, no, no, no. He was cool with it. He was cool because you know, he stood back and I was like, I had my hands out. And I said, I'm going to get out, okay, so I can talk to you. He's like, fine, come on out. And he's, he said his distance. So I got out slowly and everything else. And, like, you know, he's like, well, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, like, giving him all my ID. And, you know, as I'm opening up my wallet, he sees all this money in there. He says, how much money do you have on you? And I said, $800. He's like, are those white girls? Like, he just said, who are those females, right? And I said, oh, these oh, are my Oh, you're friends. translating for us. Yeah. And, it's like, okay. so, and I said, you know, these are my friends. We're going to, uh, to Gloucester to go to 40 Steps. We're just going to, like, I was just going to show them this area because it's really pretty. And, it was, and he was like, uh... All right, everyone, come with me. You're going to go into a uh, holding cell, and we're going to call all of these girls' parents. They're going to come get them. Hey, young ladies, blink twice if under distress. Yeah, because the thing was, he thought I was pimping. Like, I'm going to go fucking hold these chicks out in Gloucester in my fucking beat-up-ass dots and beat Okay, so let's just throw a hypothetical. Were you pimping? No. No, 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 no. Like, were you to be pimping? Would Gloucester be the place that you would do it? Oh, hell no. Okay. No. <laughs> Wait, not at all. <laughs> like, just hell think no. About Gloucester. Think about that word. The way it sounds coming off your mouth. Like, it's not, Glou- it does not a nice role. Gloucester. No, fuck no. You know, old, retired doctors and lawyers and people who just don't well, like They got money. They got lots of money. So you've been pulled over four times. Have you ever been given your rules? You have your, you have your set rules, what you do when you get pulled over. Have you ever been afraid? Absolutely. Uh, well, the second to the last time, this time I just told you about with uh, the cops in Glendale, that was the last time. Before that, I was with uh, two of my best friends. One of them is a, is a preacher, works in D.C., fucking good guy. Um, the other one is, uh, he works for Sony. He, you know that show Jeopardy? Yeah, he's the one who tells <laughs> Alex Rebeck if the fucking answers are right. I've never heard of it. Can yeah. you tell me a little bit, Speaks, about what this Jeopardy is? Yeah. Geoparty? Geoparty. Jeopardy is being black driving a scooter in Santa Monica, I guess. Because um, there's, like, I, I had my friend the preacher on the back of my scooter, and then Michael had, you know, his his solo, like, little mini mini motorcycle thing. And we're just like, they made this sound like, we're not going anywhere. All right? So this one cop pulls up next to us, and I look at him, I'm like, thumbs up, or just riding. The next thing I know, there's two more cops behind him, then it's fucking, it's this whole fucking city's behind us. So we pull over into this, uh, what was it? It was a fucking, it was a diner. We pulled over to the parking lot. Next thing I know, cops everywhere, LAPD, even these guys, shotguns out, shh, on the floor, on the ground, down, hands behind your back. I'm like, what the fuck? And they're like, you guys are being accused of uh, 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 armed robbery. And I'm like, Three black men on fucking scooters? <laughs> Armed robbery? <laughs> what the fuck did we steal? <laughs> what, what the fuck, fuck are we, we getting gonna, away from? Scooters. And get away on fucking scooters in fucking LA. Are you fucking out of your mind? And then, you know, it got worse from there for me. 
but you know, I was like, at this point, like, I'm ready to die because this is just stupid. And I got my preacher with me, so he's gonna fucking bless me. I'm going to heaven. It's all good. You know, I mean, my preacher friend was crying. I'm like, and he's my, also my fraternity brother. So I was like, look, dude, if you do anything to hurt that man over there, I'll give a fuck what you got. We all going to hell. You know, and they 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 stood there for a while. They went through our pockets. There was no drugs. There's no weapons. There's no well, fucking scooters. You know, and it's also prom night for some fucking school. So we're fucking face first in the gravel of this fucking parking lot, and these fucking white kids are coming out of this fucking restaurant at like what 1:30 in the morning, wearing prom gowns and tuxedos, and staring at three black guys on the ground. I'm like, this is all types of wrong. And you know what they did? They just gave us back our shit, said sorry, and left. Eleven fucking guns pointed in my head that night. I have 15 guns in my face in my lifetime. Eleven were fucking cops. Yeah, but I mean the thing is, is just be yourself and, and you'll be fine. Be open to everything and you'll be fine. Like, I'm open to people's prejudice against me. I'm open to people's racism. You know, I mean, I've been spit oh, on. Okay. I've been spit on by fucking the German army driving by me. And I just stood there, A, because I'm American, B, because I'm black, and C, because if that's all they got, I can take that and more. And it's not going to change who I am because I'm above that bullshit. We're closing off here what's your parting shot your parting wisdom your parting thoughts on all of this if i had one last thing to say to humanity before i die you mean that type of thing what do i want to say to the entire well, you're world? far more articulate than i but yeah that's what i meant okay great um the only thing i would say to everyone is like if i wanted to make one grand statement that, that everyone could hear everyone could hear it i would say listen there is no need to separate ourselves from one another anymore. The only need there is is for us to come together as one. The only way that this planet, that this species of human, of human beings, which is us, is going to survive is by helping each other, not by harming each other. We've been taught all our lives to be different from, re from, from religion to, to music, to clothing, to geographical location, to skin color. Everything about us has been meant to separate us and to cause us to battle each other. It's, it's easier for any entity to divide and conquer humanity by dividing it and conquering it one by one. But when you bring everything together, we are one strong, solid species, one strong, solid race of human beings. And we can do anything at that point, as opposed to what we're going through right now. All right speaks we can't thank you enough for your time um this has been an awesome conversation through everything that we discussed so thank you hopefully this gives an opportunity for everything to expose a whole different perspective to to evaluate what that looks like and and who knows if uh maybe we can all evolve some perspective because mine certainly is can is is under evaluation at the moment let's just do this one thing for me tomorrow just walk up to somebody you don't know you know a man you know so it's like it's less threatening to them but walk up to somebody you don't know and shake their hand and just walk up to somebody you don't know and shake their hand look them in the eyes shake their hand and ask them to do the same thing the next day with somebody else they don't know and ask them to tell that same message to somebody else go up to a stranger and shake their hand look them in the eye and shake their hand and eventually, you know, everyone will know that there's nothing to be afraid of. Wow.
All right. That, that's it. it. That's the sign off. The episode. Thanks for listening to Under the Skin. That's it. Peace and love, baby. Love and light.